hint when you're going through it. Obviously, you're probably getting a hint of what we're going to talk about this morning. I, um, we've been talking about navigating life in Babylon. And uh, in Babylon represents the kingdom of man. It's a, it's, it's a satanic um, uh, led enterprise, the kingdom of man, um, because man has surrendered his will to the enemy right from the beginning. And, and this story that we're looking at today that is very familiar to those of you who grew up in Sunday school um, we're looking from this angle. I want to talk about defying Babylon. There's a time to be defiant in our life. And, uh, and, and, and people who are going to survive and navigate life and succeed in Babylon have to have somewhat of a defiance about them. A, a, an unwillingness to just go along with kind of the crowd. And there, there has to be something in us that goes, you know, I don't have to follow the crowd. One of the benefits I've had growing up was, um, was I never got to dress cool. <laughs> when, I was in, when I was in junior high, my, my, um, my parents were very frugal. And so um, the Goodwill was where I got much of my clothes. I grew up in Orange County. So, um, and in my day, there aren't very many here who would remember what, what we looked like in junior high in my day. Um, but it was, uh, it was a white T-shirt, and uh, it was Levi's, 501 Levi's. And then our shoes were... Um, they called desert boots. Well, some of you would remember they're kind of a dark suede thing. That was that was clothes, and you were cool if you had them. But I had Fruit of the Loom T-shirt. I had Wrangler jeans, and I had a knockoff of the desert boot that was more of a more white than brown. And it wasn't a boot; it was a shoe. That's the closest I ever got to being cool. So I had to make whatever I had cool. I had to act like what I had was cooler than they, what they had, and it wasn't the crowd. It, 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 it helped. Sometimes it worked, and sometimes it absolutely did not work. Yeah, those Wrangler jeans, dude. You know, you're just not with it. So in junior high, of course, that was... But it helped me. I... Couldn't go just with the crowd because even if I wanted to, I never got there. So at times it helped me to be at times, you know, as I was growing up, um, it gave me a strength. It was a good thing. But we face this challenge in life. And, uh, and this story, well, let's get a little background. Nebuchadnezzar, remember, he had this dream. And he wanted, he was really bothered by it. King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. And uh, we'll just call him Neb, okay, for short. Neb had this dream, and it was this dream of the statue, and it was 
it was fierce and it scared him and he didn't know what to think about it. And it was, and so he, um, he decided, you know, he was going to find out what this meant, or at least he was going to do his best. And so he got all his, you know, spiritists, Chaldeans, these soothsayers, these so-called wise men, astrologers, and said, you got to interpret the dream. And they said, good. And he, but he said, he thought, I'm not going to just tell them the dream because then they can make something up. If they're real, they're going to have to tell me the dream that I had. And so he said, you're going to tell me the dream and then you're going to explain it. And of course, they said, no one's ever asked such a, you know, such a thing as that. And he says, you're all dead if you don't show up, you know, tell me what the dream is and give me the interpretation. So the only one that could was not one of the soothsayers, not one of the, you know, the astrologers. It was Daniel who believed in God. And, uh, and God gave Daniel the dream and the interpretation as he gave it to, to King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, Neb honored him in that. And the dream was that this statue, it was, it was about the future. And the statue had a diminishing um, metals in the statue. And each metal represented a kingdom. So the head was of gold, and that was the Babylonian kingdom. But then he says, then the Babylonian kingdom would be, would, would be uh, replaced by the medial Persian empire, and that was the silver, silver chest. And then in the statue, there was a bronze belly, and said that would be the Grecian empire, and then after that would be the legs of iron, and that would be the, um, the Roman Empire, and then after that there would be iron mixed with clay, which would be the ten toes, and that would be a ten-nation confederacy at the end, and then a stone, being Christ, would come and crush it. So the kingdoms of this world would be destroyed. Well, Oneb, he liked, he liked the idea of the head being of gold, but he didn't like the other part of those other nations following after him. So he had a statue built of all gold, saying, basically, Babylon's going to last forever. There's no kingdom that's going to come and take over, over it. And he decided to make it big. He made it 90 feet tall, six, 60 cubits. Cubit was the, from the elbow to the tip of the finger. That's the length of a cubit, about a foot and a half, depending on the size of the man measuring. But it was about 90 feet tall. And, uh, and Neb decided to make a big deal about it. And requiring not only that people honor that, but they worship at, at the feet, they worship at this statue, and they worship the gods of Babylon. Now Babylon's a, um, uh, a nation of many gods, pluralistic society. And you can worship any god as long as you keep it under wraps. Because that's the way the world operates. You can, you can be a Christian, but you know, you better not bring up too much about Jesus and talk about God, because that's offensive. See. Because the world always wants to suppress the true and living God. And so, 
chapter 3, in, starting in the first verse, it gives us a little insight. Nebuchadnezzar king made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and his width 6 cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And the king Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather together the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the province to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So this is a big deal. Nebuchadnezzar's got this big, huge party planned. It's a big day. They're going to unveil this, this huge statue. They're going to worship, and they've got the band. You know, they've got an orchestra. I mean, they've got all kinds of music in this as they play the music, and everybody's going to bow down. And everybody, everyone who's anyone in the kingdom is there. He's invited them all, and they better show up. If Neb invites you, you be there. And so they, they're, all, they're all there. And they, 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 the music plays, and everybody bows. But there are some who don't. And three of them are leaders. They're, they're satraps, they're, they're, they're significant people, they're governors in, uh, in provinces. But they're also young men of God. And word gets out. In verse 8 it says, Therefore at the time certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. What did they accuse them? Well, they wouldn't bow down. They wouldn't worship the foreign false gods. They wouldn't worship at the statue. And it's kind of interesting because the Chaldeans were the very ones who Daniel had saved their lives. They were all going to be killed by by the king. They were going to be killed because they couldn't interpret the dream. And they were the ones supposed to be able to do that. And they didn't. And now the very people who helped rescue them, they're turning on. They're the very ones whose lives were saved and the people they should have appreciated most were the ones they appreciated the least in this point. You ever feel that way sometimes? Maybe you've given of yourself and the ones that you thought should appreciate your effort don't? Well, that happens often. And in Daniel chapter 3, verse 13 it says, that Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, is it true? Now, he's angry, he's raged, but these are, these are, this seems to be, um, you know, these are good people here. And he, he wants to give them, it seems like he wants to give them a second chance. Because he's already said... Anybody that doesn't bow, you're going, into, uh, you're, you're going into the pit of fire. You're going to be burned alive. And so he gives them, he asks the question, is, is this really true? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods and worship the gold image which I have set up? Now I want you to see the intimidation that's going on here. Here is a king that can, you know, just by his word, have him killed in any way he wants. And he's challenged, he's saying to them, listen, you know, I'm going to give you another chance. 
Isn't that kind of him? He's, he's, he's going to give him another chance. And this is, a, this is a good place for a little compromise. This is a, a good time when maybe you kind of reevaluate. Maybe you, you, you tell the king, you know, I, we were just caught off guard. And sure, of course. And maybe we could, you know, we can, we'll, we'll still be able to worship our God. But, you know, you will forgive us, right, king? He's given us a chance, and he's given an opportunity to make an excuse, to have a way out. Seemed like they were ready for this time of testing. Seemed like they were ready for the challenge that they would face in their faith, which is something we can learn from in our lives. It, it's, it shouldn't surprise us that the world will press against us. It shouldn't, be, it shouldn't surprise us when there are times when it seems like there's persecution. We live in a pretty, a pretty good place to be able to live out our faith without too much trouble. But there's still going to be trouble. Jesus says, said this. He said, woe to you if, no, if, you know, if everyone thinks well of you. That's not because he wants us to do something that makes people think worse of us. He's just saying that if you're going to live godly in Christ Jesus... The scripture says you will suffer persecution. Persecution in, in America might be, well, you don't get that promotion that you thought. Or, you know, you're not invited to the party. Or, you know, it's, it's usually not too terribly bad. You get defriended from Facebook, you know. But sometimes it can get a little bit more than that. And... It certainly seems in our culture it's starting to get more than that. It says in verse 15, now if you're ready at at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, the psaltery, the symphony with all kinds of music and you fall down. Now if we read the entire chapter you would see this keep showing up over and over again. It keeps, it keeps, it's almost, it seems so repetitive, it almost feels like you're, you go, I, I read that already. But he keeps repeating. And why is he repeating this thing about music? He says, when you hear the music, when you hear the music, when you hear the music. Because wor- worship oftentimes is connected to music. But also, the world uses music. Now, I'm not one of those that go, that devilish rock and roll stuff, you know? Or that terrible, you know, that, that devil rap. It's not the style of music. It's the message of music. It's the message of music. Do you ever listen to, really listen to the lyrics of the music that you listen to? I mean, really hear what is being said. Oftentimes, the things that are being communicated you wouldn't have anything to do if there wasn't music attached to it. You would, be, you would be abhorrent to it. But somehow music has a way of bringing a message into your soul without you actually having any blockage or, or pushback on it. And the devil knows that. In fact, there's good evidence in the scripture that Satan was one of the worship leaders in heaven. That, that, that what, how it describes him musically in his heart, that he was created with this gift of music by God. 
God is the ultimate creator of music. Music is a gift from God. It's, a, it's something God uses, and it's used in, in worship. But the enemy knows that too, and so he has used worship as a means. It's not his only means, but he has used it in a negative way. That's why I think everything that the devil has perpetrated can be redeemed you know, through God's way. And what we experienced just a few minutes ago is the redemption of music, what it was originally given for, that we would use it as, a, as, as part of our expressing our hearts to God and glorifying God and honoring God. Now, it says, he says, um, you know, he's given them this whole thing, but if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately in the midst of the burning fire furnace, and then he makes this statement. It's a challenge. Who is the God who will deliver you from my hand? Now, he makes this statement, and this is what the enemy will do at times in your life. He'll accuse God. He'll, he'll, um, he'll defame God's name. He'll try to lower who God is and what God can do. And he'll look back, take you back to times where you Maybe God did not do what you expected him to do or wanted you to do so that you'll back down. You know, whose God is going to deliver you? I've gone and captured all these nations and all their gods couldn't couldn't defend them. In fact, I captured your people. We came in and your God did not protect you from me. So who's going to? What God can defend, what God can take care of, what God can help you in that situation. And he's throwing down the gauntlet now. And he's putting God in the same level as the other gods. Because he always does that. So it's bow or burn. You have a choice. Doesn't sound like a good choice, but you bow or burn. What's easier? It's so much easier to bow. See, and then it says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this manner. In other words, we don't, have, we don't, have, we don't need to really defend ourselves right here because we're not really trying to appeal to you on this. He says, if, if that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us. In other words, so Neb says, you know, who is the God who will deliver you from this, from my hands? There's not any God who's going to deliver you. And they say, no, our God is able to deliver us from your hands and from the fiery furnace. And he will, so he says, he is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand. Now, this is a statement of faith. He's going to deliver us. I, we don't know how, but he is going to deliver us from your hand. We might not have it all figured out, but our God is going to take care of us. I can, I can, we can stand on that. We believe that. But then this statement, but if not, one of the great statements in the Bible, but if not, will you say that with me? But if not. 
But if not, but if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set before us. But if not, if not is a statement that says, I worship God not for what he gives me, but for who he is. I worship a God I have a relationship with. I worship God not because of his hand, but because of his heart. That's what I worship God. That's the God I worship. I worship this God. And in spite of the fact, he's saying, they're saying, we believe God is able, we believe God's gonna deliver us, but if he doesn't, you need to know something about us. We'll never bow. We will never bow. See, I believe that victorious Christian living starts there. That's not the end point, that's the starting point. Victorious Christian living says, even if God doesn't do anything for me, he's already done enough. He's already rescued me. So I, I have salvation in Christ already. Even if God doesn't heal or deliver or set free or give me that promotion or, you know what I'm saying? You can, you can name it. Even if he doesn't. I will not worship anyone else. I will only worship him and I will keep worshiping him even if I don't get. That's where it starts because if it starts there and what they're saying is we will lay down our life. We will die for our God. We're committed, that, we're that committed to die for our God. Let me ask you, what are you willing to die for? I asked that last week. I want to bring it back. And, and I'm sure most everyone here has a list of, of who you would die for. Some of you know exactly. You know, on that list, it might be your children or your family or your spouse or maybe friends, and it might expand longer than that. I mean, we, you know, we're going to have the celebration of our independence and on the 4th, and we think of, even at that point, all those who have died for our, our country, people who were willing to lay down their life. I believe the start of victorious Christian living is, is the determination that no matter what happens, I will live and I will die for Jesus. I will live and I will die for God. I, I believe because once you've established that and that's settled, everything else is a breeze. Every challenge you face, every difficulty, whatever it is, you'll face in life because the option is off the table. I am going to worship God no matter what. And that's what made them, that, that's what gave them the ability to be defiant in such a, you know, a, a fiery situation that they were facing. Death 
they were able to stand there because they had already predetermined in advance. And they were ready for it. You want to kill me? And listen, that is not uncommon for a Christian. That, that is normal Christian living throughout, throughout history. The church has always faced that. We are, we're the exception in the United States. We're the exception in the Western world. Even though the pressures are coming in other ways, in different ways, we face a different kind of thing, I think, so much against our faith. But we're the exception. The body of Christ has always faced life and death situations as it's lived, you know, as, as, uh, as followers of Christ have lived out their life. And with that determination from the beginning, what else can the devil throw at you? You see? Because you're already established. Because, listen, the voice of compromise, and I, I'm talking about people oftentimes who claim to be followers of Jesus are sometimes the ones who bring the greatest pressure against those who decide, I'm going to live a godly life. I'm not going to compromise. Sometimes it's those very people. The voice of compromise says things like this. Why be, be so defiant? And they were, right? They, they, they didn't even, like, when the king came, they didn't even say, like, um, oh, king, live forever, which was kind of the, you know, they always said that. Oh, king, live forever. You know, you're the greatest king in the whole world. We just love you. They didn't, they didn't even say King Nebuchadnezzar. They just said Nebuchadnezzar. You know? And they were defiant. They says, we're not going to bow to anybody. But the, the voice of compromise, why be so defiant? You're never going to win over the king and others if you don't compromise just a little bit. Do you think that your God is the only God? Come on. There's all kinds of gods up, out there. Different names, but isn't that a little narrow-minded of you? If, if you're going to make a difference, you have to love everyone, which means compromise your faith. Fit in a little. Show that you are more tolerant. And so, we have a church, maybe because we've gotten so soft, that is making all kinds of compromise. Some of it is, it's, we're compromising sometimes we're worshiping all kinds of gods, and sometimes we're worshiping foreign gods with the same name. You see? Just because someone uses the name Jesus doesn't mean it's a Jesus of the Bible. It isn't the Jesus that we are to worship and serve, the Jesus who really died for our sins. I was, um, I don't watch this show. Um, I just read about in an article 
and I'm telling you this because I'd be embarrassed to have watched this show. It's um, it's 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 a uh, Bachelorette, the Bachelorette show. I think there's like a bachelor and a bachelorette. I know of that because it's been around for a long time. Um, and uh, but it, the article had mentioned that the I guess the bachelorette in this one, she was, I guess sleeping around, and she said she's a Christian, and she said she has premarital sex and she doesn't see anything wrong with it and she said Jesus loves her and forgives her now Jesus is a wonderful forgiver and he forgives all kinds of things but he forgives that people genuinely repent and turn to the Lord but you know the Bible does say if you continue in sin in other words you have a pattern of sin that is unrepented of. And if you don't feel convicted of your sin, the Bible says you're not his. You're not his. That the Jesus that you have isn't the Jesus of the Bible. You have this other kind of Jesus and whoever it is just because you have a name for it. Because Christians who have the Holy Spirit get convicted of their sin. They might fall into sin. They might even get into a pattern of sin, but they're, they're desperate to get out because the Holy Spirit is in them. And you cannot continue living in that way. So compromise produces this idea that you can just kind of do whatever and it doesn't matter. Compromise says... You can bow down to these foreign gods, but it's okay. They're, you know, all the gods are kind of the same. I mean, if you call him Allah or Yahweh, it doesn't really matter. Just, he just, as long as you believe enough, that's what matters. Listen, folks, the world will never be satisfied until we bow to it and it's God. Compromise only pulls us a little closer to its ultimate objective. Surrender to God, God, the gods of the culture. That's the ultimate objective. And, but these three Hebrew men are not, they're, 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 they have lived, these aren't people, guys that have lived in isolation. You know, they don't have their little Christian community over on the side, you know, and that's what they're living under. They're, that's not what's going on. These, these guys have lived in the culture. They're living in the culture. They're amongst it. They've, they've seen, you know, they've been to, you know, hanging out with the, the guys, and the guys go, hey, let's go party. They know that. They lived in that world. They understand it. But they decided to stand out from it. In the middle of it to stand out, to not give in, not to surrender, not to do what everyone else does. Not to compromise. Why? Well, because worship, worship is like the intimacy of the marriage bed to God. In fact, God 
calls idolatry, worship of foreign gods. And that's not just like worshiping other gods. That's, that's a worship of things. It's a worship of people. It's whatever you put before God. He calls it in Scripture often adultery, not just idolatry, adultery. God relates idolatry to adultery. To God, it is a betrayal of the intimacy of marriage. We're called the bride of Christ, and God sees us, and worship is an intimate interaction between us and God. And when we, we worship false gods, actually the Bible says when you do that, you're actually worshiping demons. And at the point that you're worshiping false gods and demons, you are committing you're, you're committing a moral act against God, an immoral act against God, a betrayal against God. And that's why there, those powerful words of defiance, but if not, say that with me again, but if not, but if not, but if not, if God does, well, then Nebuchadnezzar, verse 19 says, then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury and, and, uh, and the expression of his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke and commanded they, they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually hit. And they took some of the men of valor, the, the strongest guys, and they threw them into the fire, but the fire was heated up so much that it burned the guys out. They were burned up. Then the Bible says in verse 24, then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. He rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound in the midst of the fire? They answered, said to the king, true, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. And he looks like he's installing air conditioning. <laughs> the fourth is the son of God. He, this, is a, this, is a, this is a Christophany. It's a, a pre-incarnate. Uh, you know, Christ is, would come at different times. And I believe that's what this is. Some say it could be an angel. It could be. We're not going to argue fully about this, but this looks like it is the pre-incarnate Christ coming to do this. And we know in other times, we're, we're, we know for a fact in other times it is because uh, when it is Christ for sure is when, um, when there's worship giving to the pre-incarnate, to the, to the being. Angels don't accept worship. You know, only... Uh, only uh, demons and God. So when, it's a, when Jesus receives worship, he's receiving worship because he's God. And so um, they, they, said, they, said, they answered and said to the king, true, O king, look, um, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire. Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. 
Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came in the midst, uh, from the midst of the fire, and the satraps, administrators, governors, kings, counselors gathered together, and they saw these men on whose body the fire had no power. The hair of their head was not singed, nor their garments affected, and the smell of fire was not on them. In other words, the fire didn't touch them. They were completely protected. My question to you is, have you ever, have you ever come through the fire, but you smell like smoke? I have. What do I mean by that? Well, I've gone through the trial, but I complained the whole way. You know, I whined about the trial. I whined about, oh, God, you know, why did you make me go through all this? And I think that's how you get smoke on you. But God still takes you through the fire. You still get on the other side because he's so wonderful and gracious and loving. Now, Nebuchadnezzar spoke saying, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This is a, a, this is a praise, right? Who sent his angel and delivered his servants to, who trusted in him. They have, they have frustrated the king's word. He's talking about himself there. And yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or language that speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made as ash heap, because there is no other God who can deliver like this. And then he promoted them. Now, some say that they believe that we'll see Nebuchadnezzar in, in heaven. I think that's possible. Um, but I don't think this statement got him there. Because he hasn't worshipped yet. But he will. He will be humbled. He will be humbled. And when he's humbled, he will acknowledge God. And he will worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There are a lot of people who give voice to God, but they're not real worshipers of God. And I want to ask you, do you worship God? You know, do you put weight to who God is? Worship always has the expression even of kneeling before God, humbling oneself, acknowledging that he is the only true and living God. Are you a true worshiper of God? A worshiper of God doesn't worship other things. A worshiper of God does not put anything else first above God. A worshiper of God has come to the place where they are willing to lay down themselves completely before God. Jesus made an interesting statement. He said this. He said, he says, if you do not take up your cross daily and follow me, he said, you cannot be one of my disciples. It's an interesting thing. You cannot be. Now, what he was not saying, if you read it wrong, you get the impression that Jesus says, if you don't take up your cross and follow me, I'm not going to let you be one of my disciples. That's not what he's saying. He's saying you cannot in the, in the, that you will be unable to be. 
You will, un, you will be, un, if, if you do not take up your cross daily and follow me, you will be unable to be one of my disciples. See, if you, if you save your life, you lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake in the gospel, you find it. And so that's why I say to really be a follower of Jesus, it starts with, Lord, I lay down, if not, but if not, Lord. I, I, I have a lot of things I'd like you to do for me. I have a lot of things I hope and expect that you'll make happen for me. And I'm going to believe for those things. I'm going to trust. I'm going to pray. I believe those things. But if not, you're the only one I'm going to worship. If not, I'm still going to worship you. And then then I'm going to close with this. And I'm over time, but let me just give you these real quick. Just some observations, three last thoughts, observations. The importance of having some defiant friends. We all need defiant friends. Right? I want to ask, who are the friends, who do you have? Do you have a circle of people in your life, they're just defiant against the world. They're the ones who'll say, hey, king, kill me. I'm not going anywhere, buddy. They're the ones say, where's the fire? Let me go jump in. Come on, guys, let's go jump in together. Now, if you don't have defiant friends and you've been part of this church for a while, it's your fault. Because there's a lot of places to find those kinds of friends here. You know? Our growth groups, our men's growth groups, our women's groups, our, you know, our Wednesday night, there's places around here. You just have to show up, get connected, find a group, you know, because no one's going to, you know, no one's going to come to your house, drag you out, put, put you in their car and drive you to the nearest, you know, small group where you can get connected. No one's going to do that. So you have to make the choice, you know. You have to make the choice to find people who are just as defined as you want to be and stand up with God. There was a study done. It's been actually done several times over the last several decades. It's been done in different ways, but it always ends up the same conclusion. They take 10 college students. This is how, how, how it kind of goes. They take 10 college students. They put them in a, you know, in a classroom, and a professor draws two lines on the chalkboard. One line is smaller than the other. One's longer. And then they ask the students which one is the longest line. Now, they have free, you know, ahead of time talked to nine of the students and said, Tell, when, when we ask this question, when we say the shortest line is the longest line, you put your hands up. One guy they don't tell. So they go, okay, is this line the longest or is this line? What, what, who says this line, which they're pointing to the shorter line, 
is the longest line, and nine hands go up. And the other guy sitting there, this is what always happens inevitably, looks around and goes, why? Just peer pressure. Just peer pressure. It's the current. It's the world. It's so easy. The devil knows this. The devil knows this. And so what he starts calling normal is what the Bible says is abnormal. Oxford just, Oxford just did a study in which they took two groups of college students from 18 to 24. That was the age group. 18 to 24, they actually took uh, guys um, who were college students, and they took group, two groups. One group is a group that grew up in a house and grew up in a community, their community, their relationships, their people, that basically had no um, negative uh, idea about premarital sex, that it was okay and, and it was fine, and that's that group. The other group were people who grew up in homes and in churches and in places where they asked that question, you know, um, and they, uh, they, they, that they grew up in a place where premarital sex was taught that it wasn't a good idea that it was against God's will and God's way. Recently done, they found the first group that 24% of those in the group were virgins. That's Joe. They found in the second group that 28% were still virgins. Hardly any difference. Hardly any difference. And yet this group would say, they would, they, they would say that they believe in, in the scriptures and they would believe that this is the best way to live out their life. And yet, they bowed to Babylon. Because Babylon, listen, is always pushing against us. It's always pushing us to bow down. But someone needs to stand up. And you'll never do it alone. You have to do it around people who will stand up with you and go, let's stand together. We'll go in the fire together. We'll run into the fire. Because that's the way you have to do it. Then, last three, last two. Um, no more preaching. These three made uncompromising decisions when the consequences were small. See, it starts small. It starts on, the, starts on the little things. I will not lie. I will not cheat. I will not make excuses. I'm not going to call, you know, I'm not going to tell the kid, tell them I'm not home when they call because I don't want to talk to them. No little white lies. No little small thefts. No giving in. When you don't give in in the small things, when the big things come, you're ready for it. Then lastly, plan in advance how you will face the fire. Become a worshiper of God. Let's pray. I'm going to ask you to bow your head in prayer and you say, I want to ask this question to those who say, you know, I'm here I'm not really a worshiper of God. I've not given my life to Christ, and 
I'm not serving him, but, but I believe I'm not here by accident. I believe I should respond. And I want to invite you to respond. To invite Jesus Christ into your life to be the Lord and sa- your Lord and Savior. And I'm going to ask you to do this. I'm going to ask you to pray. I'm going to ask you to pray sincerely and out loud and invite Jesus to be your Savior. And it's not just a prayer, it's, it's a commitment. We're asking you to surrender and to choose to follow Jesus. And all that is part of being a follower of Jesus. And even if you don't know what all that means, it means you're willing, at, at least at this point, to do whatever God is asking of you to do. Your salvation is not based upon what you're going to do. Your salvation is based upon what he has already done. He died for you. He paid the price for your sins. He, 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 he already has purchased what it takes. He already went into the fire for you. You don't even have to go to the fire. He already went in. And he died for you. So that you could have eternal life. And so if you would like that, I'm going to ask you just to pray this prayer. And say this, dear God, In fact, church, would you join in? Let's just do this together. Dear God, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died for my sins, was buried, and conquered death. And I choose you, Jesus, as my Savior. I ask that you cleanse my soul and you'll make me completely whole. Make me pure, as only you can do, God. And help me to follow you. From now on, I choose to be a follower of Jesus Christ, a Christian. And I thank you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Listen, if you, you prayed that prayer, two things I'd like to invite you to do. One is in your connection card, fill it out and mark the spot that says, I received Christ. And as the, uh, as the ushers come with the offering bucket, you can place that in there. If, if you don't get it done in time, uh, one of the buckets, one of the boxes near the doors, you can just place it in there. Let us know you received Christ. Also, we have a gift for you at that table, and someone will be there after service, and if you would like to receive it, uh, it just to help you get started in your walk with God, and so if you accepted Christ, uh, just head over there right after service, and we'll make sure to get you started in your walk with God. So we're going to worship God with our gifts, of the work of our hands, and however you want to do that, um, and then we're also um, going to wor- worship God with our, our voices as we lift our hearts to God. And this is a good time for us to declare, God, you only will I worship. You only will I serve. Okay? Father, we bring our offering before you. We receive, Lord God, as an expression of worship, we give to you in Jesus' name. Amen.